Welcome to You News, the podcast, using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Wednesday, January 15th. I am Aranza Loisaga, and these are today's headlines. Speaker Nancy Pelosi announcing the seven House members who will serve as impeachment managers in the Senate trial of President Donald J. Trump. This as new documents are revealed by House leaders ahead of the trial, including damaging information from the president's attorney Rudy Giuliani and the potential surveillance of an American diplomat. And six Democrats taking the stage in Des Moines, Iowa, as the nation's first caucus is fast approaching. This and much more today on You News, recorded live from our newsroom in Miami. We begin with the presidency in peril. Donald Trump now saying he's no longer considering hosting the 2020 G7 summit on his property in Doral after uproar from both Democrats and Republicans. Today is a historic day in Washington. The House of Representatives is voting to send articles of impeachment against President Donald Trump to the Senate, setting in motion just the third presidential impeachment trial in U.S. history. This is newly released documents shed new light on the president's campaign to pressure Ukraine to investigate the Bidens. Janet Rodriguez is at the White House with the latest details. Janet. Arans and the White House uh, much rather us be talking about what's actually going on here in the White House today, which is actually pretty historic as well. The signing of the phase one agreement, commercial agreement with China. But even the president in that event could help himself and talk about impeachment. He said that the Democrats in the Senate are tough, that they know that this is a hoax and that they need to take care of it. This is referring to what's happening today in Congress with that press conference this morning. Nancy Pelosi, the leader of the House, naming the Senate seven managers of impeachment, one of them being uh, the Republic, the Democrat representative from Texas, Sylvia Garcia, the only Latina in the group, and uh, telling Congress uh, that th their responsibility now is to pass this on to the Senate so that the trial can begin as soon as possible. This is what she had to say. Today is an important day because today is the day uh, that we name the managers, we go to the floor uh, to pass the resolution to transmit uh, the articles of impeachment to the Senate, and later in the day, when we have our engrossment, uh, that we march uh, those articles of impeachment to the United States Senate. And that will officially kick off the process of uh, that trial in the Senate. Republicans there today trying to figure out whether they will allow more witnesses or not. Democrats want that to happen. There is also some uh, controversy how much the press will be allowed to cover that trial. That's being figured out as well. So there is a couple of logistical questions that will take place in the next couple of days before that trial may begin, possibly on Tuesday. Now, the White House releasing a statement as well, and here is part of it saying that uh, they still believe that this whole process was a fraud, a shame, uh, that Pelosi didn't win anything by delaying uh, the, in, the articles of impeachment from going to the Senate for a month, and that they believe that ultimately the president will be exonerated. So here, that's the message from the White House today. They didn't want to see a trial happen. The president indicated in the last couple of days that he would have preferred for a dismissal of the charges. But the Senate today saying, especially the majority leader, they are saying that a trial will happen and they will proceed. Back to you.
Janet, live from Washington, D.C., thank you very much for this information. And on the eve of the Senate trial, Democrats bolstered their case against President Trump and their demands for more evidence by releasing new documents about the Ukraine pressure campaign from an associate of Rudy Giuliani now facing charges in federal court. Paola Byron has all the details. As President Trump rallied to supporters, there's new evidence that sheds new light on the president's efforts to pressure Ukraine into investigating his political rivals. The new evidence collected by congressional investigators comes from Lev Parnas, an associate of Trump's personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani. 59 pages of records, including text messages, emails, and handwritten notes, including one scrawled-on hotel stationery that reads, quote, Get Zelensky to announce that the Biden case will be investigated. And there's a letter from Giuliani requesting a meeting with Ukraine's then-president-elect Zelensky, emphasizing Giuliani was working in his capacity as personal counsel to President Trump and with his knowledge and consent. Democrats say the new evidence turned over by Parnas goes to the core of their case against President Trump. Here's someone who is complying with the subpoena with explosive documentation that shows that this has been an effort underway uh, dating back to early this early last year uh, to be able to build a case to tear down Biden. Parnas was indicted with another Giuliani associate last fall on campaign finance charges. Trump has tried to distance himself from both men. I don't know them. Uh, I don't know about them. I don't know what they do. But Parnas's lawyer seemingly attempting to undercut the president, releasing this video montage on Twitter, showing his client with the president and members of his family. Also in those newly released documents, another potential bombshell. Text messages suggesting that former U.S. Ambassador Marie Yovanovitch may have been under physical surveillance. Robert Hyde, a Trump supporter and congressional candidate, claimed to have contact with a private security team monitoring the ambassador's moves and communications. Hi, texting Parnas, if you want her out, they need to make contact with security. And wow, can't believe Trump hasn't fired this expletive. During her congressional testimony last November, Yovanovitch said she received a call from the State Department giving her a warning. She said that they were, there were concerns about my security. That's all. But it was not further explained. Paola Byron, U News. Let's go now to Chris Liu, a former senior White House aide to President Obama, to discuss what comes next. Thank you for joining us, Chris. Thank you. So from these new documents released on Tuesday, what's the most surprising piece of evidence for you? Well, it, what's surprising at this is just a fraction of the documents that are being withheld, the witnesses that are being uh, excluded from testifying. And with each new release of documents or witnesses, uh, the story just gets worse and worse for the president and his allies. Um, you know, here there's sort of two things that came out. Uh, you have a very clear connection that uh, President Zelensky of Ukraine was supposed to announce an investigation into Vice President Biden. Uh, you also have um, a, a letter from Rudy Giuliani, says, which is saying that um, he wants a meeting with President Zelensky, and that's with the knowledge and consent. So this idea that President Trump was interested more generally in anti-corruption isn't true. The idea that President Trump had no idea what's going on is not true. And it's important to understand this is why Democrats think that more witnesses should be called, more wit uh, documents should be produced as well. Also, uh, from these documents, we learned that. Also, from these documents, we
We learned that there is a new person at the center of an alleged push to fire ambassador yeah. to Ukraine, Marie Jovanovic. That's Robert Hyde. He's running for Congress in Connecticut. Who is he and how does he figure in these new developments? Well, from press accounts, he appears to be some kind of landscape contractor uh, who has tried to make himself into a lobbyist. Uh, he has also been photographed with uh, the president and prominent Republicans at many events. Um, you know, what's not clear from here is whether this is simply boasting on his part that somehow he's engaging with surveillance uh, on Ambassador Yovanovitch. Um, but whether he's boasting or not boasting, this is a serious matter when a U.S. diplomat overseas um, is, may or have had her um, uh, uh, movements monitored. Uh, and there's sort of a kind of menacing, threatening tone to these texts as well. And so um, I hope that this is investigated because this is a serious matter. Now, this morning, Speaker Pelosi announced seven House impeachment managers, among them is Representatives Adam Schiff and Jerry Nadler, as well as Reps Zoe Lofgren of California and Sylvia Garcia of Texas. What did Pelosi base those decisions on? What characteristics was she looking for? And what will the role be exactly? Well, look, they're going to be prosecuting cases. So she wanted people that had experience as prosecutors or as litigators in private practice uh, she also wanted impeachment managers that reflected the diversity, not just of the Democratic caucus, but of the whole uh, United States. And this stands in stark contrast to, I think, the 18 impeachment managers in the Clinton um, impeachment back in 1998, who were all white men. And so their task is really to um, explain, summarize uh, the case that the House found against President Trump uh, in the Senate trial that begins next week. Uh, the president's lawyers will have a chance to respond. Uh, and then the big question comes up is, will there be additional witnesses that will be called? So now House Speaker Pelosi waited for over a month to send the articles to the Senate. Is this hurting or helping the case against the president? Well, I don't know that it's made a big difference one way or another, but I think what's notable is in the, the four weeks since House has voted on impeachment, um, we've had the release of new documents, not just the Lev Parnas documents, additional ones that have come from the Office of Management and Budget. We've learned through reporting about additional meetings that were held on this issue, including one in the White House with the president and the secretary of defense. And then most importantly, we have the offer by John Bolton, the former national security advisor, to testify. And so in those intervening four periods of time, Nancy Pelosi may not have changed the terms of the Senate trial, but she certainly reframed the public debate and helped people understand that what we know about this matter right now is just a fraction of what's out there. Chris, thank you so much for your time and for talking with us today and explaining us this very intricate situation right now in U.S. history. Thank you. It was the final showdown last night at the final Democratic debate before the first votes are cast in the Iowa caucuses, February 3rd. The frontrunners trying to set themselves apart along with Iran and health care Tensions between Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren taking center stage in the morning. In the last debate before the first votes are cast in Iowa, a reluctant face-off between the two progressive senators on stage. Bernie is my friend, and I am not here to try to fight with Bernie. Bernie Sanders continuing to outright deny claims that he told Elizabeth Warren in a private conversation in 2018 that a woman could not win the election. Well, as a matter of fact, I didn't say it. Uh, and I don't want to waste a whole lot of time on this because this is what Donald Trump and maybe some of the media want. Uh, anybody knows me knows that it's incomprehensible 
that I would think that a woman cannot be president of the United States. But Warren insists it happened and that the women on the stage are in a better position to take on Trump. So can a woman beat Donald Trump? Look at the men on this stage. Collectively, they have lost 10 elections. The only people on this stage who have won every single election that they've been in are the women, Amy so and true. me. And in what could be a sign of simmering tensions, Warren pulled back from a handshake after the debate, abruptly ending the exchange. Last night's debate was also the first since President Trump ordered a strike against a top Iranian general, pushing foreign policy front and center. Sanders and former Vice President Joe Biden fighting over the origin of the Iraq war. I not only voted against the war, I helped lead the effort against that war. I said 13 years ago it was a mistake to give the president the authority to um, go to war. But others, like veteran Pete Buttigieg, look into the challenges of the future. I bring a different perspective. Uh, there are enlisted people that I served with barely old enough to remember those votes on the authorization after 9-11, on the war in Iraq. The next president is going to be confronted with national security challenges different in scope and in kind from anything we've seen before. Donald Trump is taking us pell-mell toward another war. We have a situation where he got us out of the Iranian nuclear agreement, something I worked on uh, for a significant period of time. As president, I will get us back into that agreement. As the impeachment grips Washington, Joe Biden insists it will not be a distraction if he becomes the nominee. It doesn't really matter whether or not he's gone after me. I've got to be in a position that I think about the American people. I can't hold a grudge. I have to be able to not only fight, but also heal. And as president of the United States, that's what I will attempt to do. Carolina Sarasa, U News. A preliminary trade deal between the U.S. and China was signed by President Trump and Chinese leaders today. Presidents typically don't sign such bilateral deals and trade agreements are usually reviewed by Congress, allowing time for lawmakers to vet their terms. However, that was not the case this time. The Trump administration and Chinese leaders say it's because of promises by Beijing to go beyond prior commitments made on intellectual property theft. It's also an effort to not force U.S. companies to hand over their technology, as well as a pledge from China to buy $200 billion in farm goods and other products made by the U.S. over a two-year period. And in a shocking development, we're now learning about Russian Prime Minister Dmitry Medvedev, who announced that he and the entire Russian government will resign. Medvedev making that statement on Russian state TV. Earlier today in Moscow, Russian President Vladimir Putin delivered his annual State of the Nation address to both houses of Russia's parliament. This is one of three national speeches that he holds annually. Putin thanked members of the government for their work, but added that not everything worked out. Putin added that in the near future, he will meet with each member of the cabinet. The FAA is investigating a jet fuel dump that affected dozens in California. School children were among those injured and treated. Salvador Duran is in Los Angeles with the latest information. Salvador. Hi, so the good news about what happened here yesterday in Los Angeles and in the city of Cudahy specifically is that the school have now reopened and students are able to come back and 
go to class. With me is Sergeant Rudy Perez from the Los Angeles School Police, and you're going to give us an update about what happened, what's going on with the students. Tell us a little bit about... Uh, the situation that you guys lived here yesterday. Yeah, well, unfortunately, about 1,200 hours, uh, we received uh, numerous phone calls of, uh, of a plane dropping low fuel at this location. The fortunate thing I can honestly tell you is the 20 schools that have been affected throughout the school district will be opening. Uh, we've been diligently working 24 hours through the night with the Office of Environmental Health and Safety, uh, the hazmat teams, and the fire departments uh, to open the schools. Uh, they're going to be continuously monitoring throughout the day, obviously, but it's absolutely safe for our kids to come back in. Uh, we want to welcome them with open arms and make sure that the schools are open. Uh, tell us, uh, none of the students were uh, was transported to a hospital yesterday, but they did uh, experience a lot of symptoms that included respiratory issues and yeah. skin irritation. Yeah, obviously we received a lot of information of kids and students and staff members that had irritation, uh, breathing issues, uh, immediately that were deconned with the fire department. Uh, unfortunately, nobody was transported to the best of our knowledge at this moment, and we want to continue to say, if you are still having some sort of issues, make sure to uh, go to the, get and seek medical attention, but two is make sure you connect with the school district also. And what can you tell us as far as the investigation is concerned? We know that the uh, federal administration... Uh, aviation administration is investigating this and we've also seen a statement issued by Delta. Yeah, I can honestly tell you. So they've received a 1-800 number that's on, on our on our website, LAUSD.net. Uh, anybody that has been affected by this uh, this investigation, obviously, is going to go in deep. We've been in contact with the FAA also, and know that uh, this is not over today. But we want to follow through. How do we how do we work on this and not let it happen again? Sergeant Rudy Perez from the Los Angeles School Police, thank you very much for your time and for the new information about this case. And as you already know, you heard him say that the investigation is ongoing. We will keep you up to date regarding this case that we saw here yesterday in Los Angeles. Back to you in the studio. We all know that Mexico isn't paying for President Trump's long-promised border wall, but last night, in a Keep America Great event in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, President Trump insisted that, once again, Mexico would. Let's listen. Mexico's paying for the wall. You know that. You'll see that. It's all worked out. Mexico's paying. It's driving them crazy. Now they say, okay, he's building the wall. But Mexico didn't pay. Mexico will pay. And, and here's the thing. Here's the thing. You'll see that. It'll come out. We'll do it sometime during the debate or maybe before our debate, the real debate. The people are going to watch. The people are going to watch. So Trump has argued that the updated trade agreement with Canada and Mexico will pay for the wall because of economic benefits he predicts will come from the deal. But Nothing in the trade agreement would cover or refund the construction cost or require a payment from Mexico. And a federal judge temporarily halted President Trump's executive order requiring governors and local officials nationwide to agree in writing to welcome refugees. U.S. District Judge Peter J. Masaid of Maryland ruled today that the state and local officials cannot block refugee admissions in their jurisdictions. The judge said the administration's grant of a veto power is arbitrary and capricious, as well as inherently susceptible to hidden bias. And, of course, you know, meanwhile, another Central American caravan will be making its way to the United States soon. 
Migrants gathered in San Pedro Sula, Honduras, Tuesday with their sights set on the U.S. Many say they are leaving everything behind due to unemployment and violence. Just last week, acting DHS Secretary Chad Wolf praised the country for its efforts in controlling the flow of undocumented migrants. And Customs and Border Protection says their agents either apprehended or refused entry to fewer people at the U.S.-Mexico border last month. But it's apparently a very different story when it comes to unaccompanied minors. Pedro Rojas explains. The number of arrivals of undocumented unaccompanied minors at the U.S. southern border is once more on the rise in some border patrol sectors, even though in December the number nationwide decreased by 37 percent compared to December 2018. Consular officials are warning of the possibility of a new wave of migrant minors. We have detected a significant increase of the numbers of minors presenting themselves alone at the border, Guatemala Consul Tecandi Paniagua says. Pastors who run shelters on the Mexican side of the border said the families tired of waiting for court hearings to gain entry into the U.S. are making risky decisions with their children. We have seen desperate parents who are choosing to send their children by themselves, Pastor Hector Silva says. Border Patrol agents at the Rio Grande Valley sector in South Texas insist that their numbers have declined. So from October to December of fiscal year 2019, we had uh, 6,496 apprehensions of unaccompanied minors. From October to December of fiscal year 2020, we had um, 3,353 apprehensions of unaccompanied minors. While in South Texas, the arrival of unaccompanied minors has declined in over 40%, in other parts of the country, the reality is totally different. Customs and Border Protection official numbers indicate that in the month of December, the Del Rio sector had an increase of 54% at the Tucson sector with 53% and Laredo sector with 21%. Their deputy chief, Joel Martinez, interpreted the new immigration numbers differently. The numbers gone up a little bit, but not, nothing significant to where I'd call it a trend. But uh, yeah, we're, we're monitoring all those numbers and if anything comes up, we'll, uh, we'll definitely address it if it comes along. They are not traveling alone from their countries. They usually have the company of adults, but they enter into the United States by themselves, says Guatemalan Consul Tecandi Paniagua. Consular officials also said that the arrival of minors is taking place in areas less populated of the border. In Edinburgh, Texas, Pedro Rojas, U News. More of U News after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. They don't know when they're going to be able to go back to work. Victims also from Mexico and this mass shooting. Officials in and out of the residence. We're going to continue fighting. U News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your news, your world, U News on Fusion. Welcome back to U News. And it sounds like an urban legend or something out of a horror movie. A woman in California found razor blades under her door handle last week. The four blades were glued together with the sharp edges facing both up and down. Kristen Dalton says she thinks she was targeted randomly because she can't think of anyone who would be motivated to harm her. She's glad she reached under her handle lightly because the blades were positioned to easily do damage. 
That is so scary. Now to New York, where a tenant is accused of pushing his landlord down some stairs, killing the 71-year-old man. And that terrifying moment was caught on video. As Natalie Chavez-Geller explains, the landlord's family now remembering him as a loving and hardworking man who didn't deserve to die this way. Edgar Moncayo was trying to enter a property he rents out where one of his evicted tenants had broken the lock to get inside. At one point, Moncayo calls his wife and asks her to call the police. Second later, the tenant identified as Alex Garces appears to shove the man with such force that he falls backwards and smashes his head on the sidewalk. The surveillance video recorded by cameras installed in the house then show how Garces and another man go downstairs and see Moncayo bleeding to death. The tragedy has destroyed Moncayo's wife, three daughters and grandchildren who remember the Ecuadorian immigrant as a loving and very hard-working man. He was a very good man. He was a good neighbor. He cared for everyone, he cared for his family, and all he was trying to do is protect the house, protect his family. The family is also in shock because court documents revealed that after the incident, the suspect told police Moncayo accidentally fell when he was trying to move a mattress. Hours later, we found out that it was a lie that he said that they were moving and my grandfather was in the way. No, we clearly see it in the footage that he was shoved. However, the family insists that Garces was a bad tenant who didn't pay his last month's rent even after Moncayo lowered it in half and had his property vandalized. But nobody could imagine that the incident would cost the old man his life. The victim's family have donated his organs and are now making funeral arrangements. In the meantime, Garces faces two counts of manslaughter. In New York, Nayeli Chavez-Geller, U News. Thanks for listening to You News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow You News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.